Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast this week. Joining me in the studio as ever, the reliable Steve Cording. Steve, how are you? Lawrence, I'm very well. How are you is the main question. Uh, well, I'm a bit poorly this week mm. or last week, but I'm feeling much better now. Thank you very much. We don't have any Sarah. Would you like to explain why? She was in Las Vegas last week. and She was, yeah. And then she'd she gone, had, off, she'd gone off to be a showgirl for the... Uh... She had wardrobe issues as well, didn't she, on Friday night? I noticed a bit of gaffer tape around her boot. Um, but uh, no, sadly she can't make it, but she does send her Christmas wishes to us. So I think it's just the two of us. So no Sarah uh, and no guest? No. Sadly, our guest has had to pull out as well this morning. Um, good reason, though. Yeah, he got injured in yesterday's game. So, uh, yeah, we were due to have... Uh, Caden Murley on talking about the big game which is on over Christmas tickets still available for anybody who wants to go unfortunately couldn't make it so it's just the two of us so should we have a chat about Christmas are you ready for Christmas are you looking forward to it um, well, it's been a uh, it's been a tricky few weeks for me. My father's broken his hip, and for all those people, listeners out there with parents who are poorly at Christmas, um, I wish them all the very best. But yeah, he's had a hip operation, so he's eighty nine. So that's not easy. Um, that. uh, yeah, so it's going to be a quiet Christmas. The rugby carries on. Uh, I'm heading up to Manchester on Thursday for a match on Friday. They've got a big game against uh, Saracens, Sale v Saracens. So that's sort of first v second, and then the following day down in Bath, Bath the Harlequin. So some pretty tasty games, actually. Uh, having had two weeks of European rugby, um, we've got a little bit to look forward to. Mm, well, we took the uh, we took the kids to uh, Tully's Farm on uh, Saturday, which was fantastic. Met Santa. Very festive. Uh, I have to ask you, though, as a player, when you played, I guess you didn't really celebrate Christmas, did you? Because you were probably playing oh, no, you, no, you still. Course, you do celebrate Christmas. I mean, obviously, the work schedule revolves around the matches. Um, if you're lucky, you get a home game just before Christmas. I mean, I only really had one golden rule win yeah. um, because no dad wants to be the Grinch at Christmas does he and go back and <laughs> you know, be utterly miserable because you've just lost before Christmas um, yeah. so if you win uh, everything's you know Santa's happy you're happy Mrs Delalio's happy and generally the kids are very happy because I guess the kids were of an age when you were playing that they were young enough to be getting up at Mine will be up at three, four o'clock in the morning, yep. excited, looking forward to it, yep. all over you, getting you up in the morning. Um, you still manage to do that then, even when you were playing? Yeah, you do. And to be honest, when you have young kids, it, it kind of brings the excitement of Christmas back to you as well, hopefully. Mm. So that's certainly what it did for a while. The best case scenario is a game on Christmas Eve, you win well, mm. and then you know you can you can go out and have a few few sherries uh, <laughs> and, and wake up on Christmas Day. Sherry. <laughs> Why do people drink sherry at Christmas? Oh, I have no, no idea. idea. Horrible yeah. stuff. No. 
no, 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 no. But also, I mean, being half Italian, the tradition is that Christmas Eve is the big day. Uh, and then you used to have to sort of rush to Christmas Mass, um, pretend you hadn't been to the pub all night. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, in Italy, they go back and have uh, pumpkin ravioli, really sort of uh, mid- a midnight feast, if you oh, like, right, okay. of, uh, of pasta. And uh, there wasn't quite the, uh, the full-on chaos and carnage that is Christmas Day in the, uh, in the traditional sort of British household. No, but uh, So here's a question for you. So I can think back now. My best gift I think I had when I was younger was uh, my dad bought me a sabutio when I was oh. nine years old. And not only did he buy it, he set it up in the morning so that when I came down, it was on the board, the perimeter was up, the floodlights were up, he'd done the stands, he'd even put all the little people in the stands as well. So that's one that I pick out as my favourite Christmas gift. Have you got one well, from my childhood? Uh, I mean, do you know what? Have you still got that Sabutio set? I have still got it, yes. Wow. Yeah. That'd be worth a it's, nice few quid now. It's still packed away in the loft. Yeah, still got it. Is it red, v blue? No, it was the 1974. It's Liverpool, Chelsea or something. No, like that, it was Ger- Germany, Holland edition. So it was oh, 19, fantastic. World Cup 1974. Yeah. Oh, how wonderful. I just remember those corner kickers. Weren't they, weren't they just the best? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had Sabutio rugby as well, but I never quite figured out how to play it. The scrum machine, I love that, but the rest of it... Oh, I played a brilliant Sabutio rugby. No ball, though. <laughs> <laughs> not, so, not dissimilar to a normal game, really. Okay. Um, so go on, then. Favourite gift well, when you Well, I think similar, but scale electrics. Scale electrics. Know, scale yeah. electrics. And then... Mm-hmm. I used to wonder why my dad used to beat me all the time, but I think he had a bit of super glue and he used to just, he used to, he used to stay on the track at about 98 miles an hour when it, when, when it cornered. Did he take one of your little uh, connectors off, one of the, what was it, like almost like that wire wall underneath, wasn't he it? He would insist on having the Italian car. I mean, it, yeah, it was Ferrari. Oh, well, they yeah. always break down. Of course they break down. <laughs> they look good, but they break down. So have you got all your gifts sorted for this year? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, you know, as, you, as, as, the, as the kids get a bit older, we actually send, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but we send each other a list of what we'd quite like for Christmas. It sounds familiar. As opposed to a list of what we don't want for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> because if you, um, if you leave it to the imagination of certain individuals, <laughs> they, they still manage to buy you something that is utterly hopeless uh, and a complete waste of money. So ideally, you put sort of four or five things that you might want down mm-hmm. on the list. And if you get one or two of them, then uh, that's a result. Well, my uh, my wife, Eleni, she uh, does the same thing. This is what I want and this is what you're buying me because even after, what, 13 years of marriage, she says, you still don't know what I like and what I want because everything I buy, she sends back. So she knows what she's getting already. Although she's a bit better with me. At least she does buy me things that I'll go, oh, yeah, I like mm. that. That's quite nice. Uh, most of my clothes, generally. But not not this. This Christmas jumper, I bought this myself. Yeah, I can see that. You didn't get the memo, did you? In, a dark, in a dark shop or... Uh... <laughs> You said it was, what did you say it was? A dog or a cat? No, no, I thought it was a dog. You thought it was a dog. It's, it a, polar, it's a polar bear. It yeah. is a polar bear. It is. Uh, anyway, should we talk about rugby? Let's. Second weekend of European action, wasn't it? With the Vestec Champions Cup. And um, having been um, dragged halfway around the country last weekend to Manchester, uh, Bath, I was in London. So I was at Saracens against Connacht. Got to say it that way, Connacht. Nicely pronounced. And then I went across London to West London to watch Harlequins get a bit of a thumping from Toulouse, the uh, Galacticos of uh, European rugby. Anton Dupont back in Toulouse colours and with the Toulouse team until January before he heads off to uh, to try and win a Sevens World Cup medal. Yeah, we found out last week from Lee Blackett that he will play in the game against Bath before he disappears Mm. because that was one of the things that he was hoping he would wouldn't, but because um, nobody quite knows yet when his last game will be, but I think yeah. he'll play the two Champions Cup games in Jan, and then he'll be yeah. he'll be off. But it was a bit of a messy match. At the studio, yeah, wasn't I mean, it? I mean, to be honest, the um, just first thing worth mentioning after two rounds. I mean, the the English Premiership clubs 
I think everyone can be a little bit heartened by the performances. Mm. Um, they won seven out of eight in round one. Saracens being the only team that didn't win. And even after two rounds, I, I think it's still very encouraging. Different format this year, isn't it? There's obviously the four pools of, what, six teams. The top four will go through to the round of last 16. The team that finishes fifth will go into the Challenge Cup. Uh, and then the team that finishes sixth uh, will go home with their tails between their legs. So, yeah, Northampton, I thought, were very strong again, winning at home because they looked like they'd let that slip against uh, uh, Toulon. So, you know, there's and Bath, obviously, winning on the road. I love those cross-border games in, in the English English clubs against the Welsh. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I mean, I think you're almost looking to the future there and going English teams in the URC and having those games all the time. I mean, it worked for the biggest crowd that Cardiff have had and yeah. probably the best match of the weekend, yeah. entertainment all round. Yeah. You can see a future in that, can't you? Where the... Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up on England-Wales, Six Nations games, match weekends. Each English club was paired with a Welsh club and we uh, Wasps were ended up with Neath. So mm. we used to play Neath every Friday night before Wales played England in Cardiff and then they would come up to London every, and every Friday night before England played Wales at Twickenham. So as a young man growing up in the, in the Wasps team, that was kind of your bread and butter. I think I made one of my first appearances for Wasps against Neath at the Knoll. Ooh. It was a 10-9 uh, classic. I think I touched the ball twice um, <laughs> by mistake. I mean, all I can say is the noises that were coming out the home dressing room that night before the game. I, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even speak of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what do you think of the format then? I mean, I guess you're okay unless you your away games are in South Africa. Then that's a bit of a challenge, really, isn't yeah. it? You don't get the opportunity <laughs> well, to play home and away. The South African concept is is not one that sits that comfortably with me at the moment. Some people would argue differently. Maybe the players would. I don't know. I'd love to hear what the teams themselves think about travelling to South Africa, playing at altitude. In the heat. Uh, having been there for five days and then having a quick turnaround and having to then play another game the following week. I think that the South Africans are very good at rugby. We know that. They've just won the Rugby World Cup again for the, uh, for the fourth time. They don't need any more help. So uh, I don't like the fact that we give them more help by introducing them to European uh, you know, Champions Cup rugby. I think the only team that it benefits are the South Africans, really. So... I think that uh, it's probably a, um, a move that's, that's irreversible, particularly given that Investec have now invested significant amounts of money and Investec are a big South African presence, etc. But South Africa will probably win the next two or three World Cups without any more help from us. Mm. But look, the, I like the competition. I was lucky enough to win it twice. I think you've got to hit the ground running, really, haven't you? Four games, yeah. Four games. Mm. Uh, you've got to win. You, you must win your home games, I guess, and try and pick up one away win and you've got a great chance. Mm. What about uh, La Rochelle then? Play two, lost two. Yeah, La Rochelle, not everything. We've been trying for a while to get uh, Ronan O'Gara on this show, uh, and we will, I promise you, deliver something at some point. But, well, he's uh, not allowed on the touchlines at the moment, so he might be able to come on the show. Well, do you know what? I think uh, he's had, there's been an amazing couple of years there, back-to-back European Cup champions. I mean, mm. that, that is not an easy thing to do. And then, unfortunately, Toulouse ensured that they didn't win the top 14. And... It was a bit of a ropey and rocky start for him in the, uh, in, during the World Cup, and, and it hasn't got any better, really. No. Again, it, the, the tournament feels like it's about momentum for me. If, had they won it at home against Leinster, you feel that maybe that would have given them the momentum they needed. The fact that they lost quite a narrow, tight game, and then suddenly they've lost this one, they're, they're, they're really staring up against them. I think they're struggling as well, aren't they? Because their players that played in the World Cup do yeah. look physically still 
tired, yeah. mentally yeah. exhausted. Yeah. The, you know, the likes of Bottia and, and, and Skelton yeah, have not I, come I, back and hit the ground in the way that they would have hoped. Probably. And look, you know, coaches, Ron Lagara, everyone would have, would have sat down for weeks and months and tried to think about how you manage players, return to play, etc. etc. You don't really know until you know how the World Cup unfolds. So it's going to be a very different season this season. You know, we've had that World Cup. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it as much as, as we all did. But you're absolutely right that whether it's the Premiership, whether it's the top 40, everything is condensed so so quickly mm. then suddenly we've got all these games and now we get the other side of Christmas and we're into the Six Nations and we've got you know the small matter of France against Ireland down in uh, mm. is it in Marseille this year I think it is it is isn't it? yeah because the Olympic Stadium's out of, yeah uh, so uh, and, and England Stadium, England yeah. travel over there and they play in uh, Lyon so it's yeah it's, it's, it's a tight condensed season I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on coaches and players and let's just enjoy the rugby well let's make our wishes for uh, 2024 at the end of the show for now we're going to be joined by Nick Puriwell the Evening Standard Rugby Correspondent right on cue Nick how are you full of festive cheer Yes, not too bad battling to keep the lights on out here in the leafy Suffolk. Half the electric's gone down in the house. So, Is this where your wife puts your wardrobe out in the, uh, at the shed, is it? Is it? <laughs> is it the punishment room? Oh, I think, yeah, I was going to say this. That's where he goes when he's been a naughty boy. Oh, yeah. okay. I like <laughs> yeah. it. I can't actually get out. It's locked from the outside. So. Where were you this weekend? I was at Quinn's yesterday. Oh, you were as well, yeah. yeah. So. And, and Nick, did, were you of the view, as I was to it by the end of the game, that Quinn's just looked like a team that probably had thrown all their ace cards down the week before against Racing and, and they, they look short of energy. They all look pretty flat out on their feet against a probably quite well-rested Toulouse side who'd smashed Cardiff the week before, 51 points to, to whatever it was, uh, without having to even get out of first gear. And they looked like they had all the energy and all the kind of zip and obviously no shortage of quality as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And I think what the coaches were saying after the game was they've basically played last year's top four in successive weeks in the Premiership, beaten Sale and beaten Sale pretty well, comprehensively at home, then went away and, and pulled off a really impressive win under massive pressure at Racing and then to take on the five-time Champions Cup winners you know the most decorated team in European history even though it was at home just in the form that they're in and I think to lose it you know you'd have said that they'd be there and thereabouts anyway it's one of the favourites before a ball was kicked just because of their pedigree but then if you look at actually what they've got in their squad I mean it's just unbelievable that someone like Thomas Ramos who's a fullback can come in and play 10 and play like that at 10 you know, if England had somebody who was in their test squad, he was a fullback who could step up and play 10 like that, I think uh, they'd probably just be playing 10 all the time. He was a bit naughty, wasn't he, yesterday, Thomas Ramos? Have you seen that little clip on social? He pushed uh, Marcus Smith's head into the turf, I think, with his elbow. So uh, <laughs> whether that will be cited today, we'll, we'll, we'll wait well, and see. I don't know, you know. Is that what's called being naughty on a rugby field these days? <laughs> then, uh, Nick, the good news, uh, I spoke to Jack Willis yesterday. He was fit, uh, available for selection but is uh, apparently the surgeon wants him to have one more week of, of just taking part in training. So I suspect they've got themselves to lose, got a fairly busy schedule. I think they play Racing and La Rochelle over Christmas. So they've got uh, Jack Willis back in the ranks. And obviously the news this week as well, Nick, of um, potential dual contracts for the likes of Jamie George Maritoji, which means that they will stay at Saracens, stay in England with the other news that Henry Arundel is, is, is signed a, an extension of his deal at Racing. What, what's the latest that you can bring us on uh, on what's going on? Are we likely to hear from the CEO of the RFU at any point this year uh, about anything? Or are we all going to be as kept in the dark as we have been up to now? Yeah, I think you will hear 
this week from from Bill Sweeney. I think you know we actually had a meeting with him last week, and you know we had a fairly extensive briefing about the state of play with things like the you know with everything that's going on with the professional game partnership. And it didn't go into sort of the detail of things like Atoje and George, as you can understand. But it was really just kind of to set out the framework as the RFU sees it. So that'll be appearing sometime later this week. Anyone on that professional game partnership that's that's played professional rugby? Connor O'Shea, Steve Diamond. Okay, okay. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, a while back then. Well, they coached it, haven't they? at a reasonable level. That is coming out this week then, is it? The more details of what happened. Well, it's still, um, the negotiations are still going on. So a lot of it, the detail is is fairly uh, draft level, isn't it? Because there's a lot of back and forth and obviously the championship clubs aren't happy with anything. But, you know, some of it's been their idea as well. So I think we'll come to a point where in terms of the, the second tier situation, it'll either be the championship clubs slot in with what the RFU want and then they'll receive funding or they won't. They'll go their own way and, and they won't receive RFU funding. Yeah, interesting. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Steve Diamond's obviously come in to be the mediator between the RFU and the championship clubs then, is he? Uh... Well, he's an independent consultant on it and uh, he's just kind of giving his experiences from Sale and, and Worcester and everything. And I actually think it's a, quite a good appointment to bring him in because he's, you know, we, we all know with Dimes will never take a backward step in saying what he really thinks and he'll say it very bluntly and very directly and I think that's exactly what's required in this sort of situation. He's not going to be worried about making friends, is he? So he's just going to say what he thinks and be completely candid with that and I think that's what the process will require. I think parties on the all side will probably appreciate that so you know that was sort of more in due course on that but yeah it is it is right that it's OJ and Georgia in line to stay which is great news for Saracens great news for for London rugby to be honest and obviously England beyond that and I think uh as much as it's important to for Itoje for all the reasons everyone always talks about Jamie George at the moment is completely crucial obviously he's a little bit older but he's clearly in the frame to be captain for the Six Nations and, and clearly still at this point people in the front row like Jamie are absolutely crucial to England because there are some very very talented young front rowers coming through but they're not ready for test rugby yet so they need to be nurtured through really and obviously Arundel signed his contract so 
two more years after this one in in Racing, and you know it's a, it'll obviously be a be a frustration for England, but uh, and, they, and they tried very hard to convince him to come back. It's not for us. It's not frustration, is it? Because there's no guarantee he's going to get picked for England, and in fact, when you get picked, there's no guarantee he's going to get the ball either. So, I mean, I mean, personally speaking, I, I think he's one of those young players. It's so young that it's actually probably a very smart move to carry on in Paris under Stuart Lancaster, who's coached England, maybe even look at playing him at fullback as they have done with Hugo Keenan. Uh, I think his game will develop significantly more in Paris than it would do sat at Bath or somewhere else where he's not going to get played that much at all. And there's no guarantee he gets picked for England anyway. So it's very hard for a young man to turn down the thick end of, I don't know, whatever it is, 700 grand over two years. I, I did feel a bit for him last week because it felt like, I mean, obviously we had Lee Blackett on the show and he couldn't divulge too much about what had been going on, but it did feel like he'd been backed into a corner because it was kind of like, he was told prior to the World Cup that he could play in the Six Nations and then he was given this ultimatum where you can only play in the Six Nations if you're signed to come back with an English team which it just seemed a little bit unfair to him so it sounds very English well but I mean particularly with the circumstances of London Irish going under as well yeah. you, you kind of you, you don't want to be changing these things mid-flow so that on Saturday he was coming back Sunday he wasn't. I mean, to your point earlier, it would just be nice to get some clarity, wouldn't it? I think it's important to say that the difficulty sometimes of reporting what's going on is separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of the briefings you're going to get that are invariably always laced with one person's agenda. And so if you want to write something that's balanced, you need both sides of the story, don't you? Well, you do, but hence, hence to Lowell's point, we need to hear from the RFU. There's two things there. Don't always read things into what's brief from certain people's agendas. The RFU are in the middle of to be fair to them, a very complex set of negotiations with the premiership clubs. So they can't just sit there and put that all in public. I mean, they could, but neither side wants to do that, as you can understand, because a lot of the horse trading that go goes on, some of the deals that ends up, they're very delicate. And a lot of it is, let's be honest, about face saving when people have to give ground. Clearly, with the hybrid contracts, the clubs have to give a lot of ground, but they can't afford to do anything differently because the RFU are going to put the money in. So if we're blunt about it, clubs like Saracens might struggle to keep hold of the likes of Vitoji and George if they don't have top-ups from the RFU of 150 plus K. And that's nothing to do with the salary cap, because let's be blunt about that as well. That's nothing to do with salary cap. That's all to do with the fact that the premiership is in trouble on a money front. When push comes to shove, who is it who takes the lead in terms of when these players play, when they don't? I'm guessing that would be the RFU. No, nothing greatly will change. I mean, England will have more influence than they've ever had before. But, but it actually... They are right when they say they've had a better relationship with the clubs than they've ever had. So they work in stronger unison than they ever have done with the clubs. And that sounds like, you know, sort of corporate speak, doesn't it? But it's actually true. And we've actually seen that with what happened at the World Cup with Steve Borthwick. And a lot of that is actually down to Steve and the relationships he builds. And the problems that were there before, some of them were down to Eddie and the relationships he didn't build. And that's not to denigrate Eddie Jones. That's just his style. He did it his way. And... For a long time, it was very successful, wasn't it? And in the latter period, it wasn't so successful and it fell apart. Now, the people who've come through the system and understand the system and the way it works and have been sort of, you know, steeped in it for years and years and years in England understand that if it doesn't marry up, then you don't get the kind of production line of young talent that England need. You know, the RFU have invested again strongly in the pathways in, in the under 20s, under 18s. So the coaching is better. The coaching is more robust again. And, uh, you know, that ought to pay dividend in terms of what's produced at the other end. And obviously they've had to fill in some holes left by the clubs that don't exist anymore in terms of academy 
academy provision and they're doing that but obviously that will take time and at the top level i mean you know we did see you know steve Orthwick has done well so far but the big test is is how they how they take that forward speaking of which then nick any any news for us on the, on the england coaching setup going into this year's six nations and when you spoke to the rfu did they indicate whether there was any performance indicators for this year's uh, six nations on what success looks like um are we are uh, are we going to actually beat scotland this time or are we just going to talk about it no i think everything's fairly uh, fairly relaxed obviously uh, felix jones comes in and i think that'll um you know be fascinating to see his influence you know, with the t- experiences of winning two World Cups with South Africa, he's somebody who's extremely highly rated in coaching circles around the world. He's obviously still very young. What's his role, Nick, do you think? Is it attack? Is it defence? I mean, he's, he's done a mixture of all of those things, actually. I think that's sort of partly to be determined, really. I think one issue was I think they just needed an extra body, extra pair of quality hands, if you like, in terms of there weren't a great deal of them in numbers. In, in terms of uh, getting through the workload they want to in the time they want to. We all know how hard uh, Steve Borthwick wants to work and wants to work his staff. And so I think it was about having somebody that could rely on. I think he'll probably work quite closely with Steve. And it just remains to be seen how that all shakes out. You know, I think the one thing you could level against the, the setup is there isn't a very experienced coaching hand there, is there? There isn't somebody, he's always kind of leaned back towards like a Wayne Smith figure for so many years, or, you know, in his time, it was a Brian Ashton figure, wasn't it? I think that would be the only thing, and whether that slots into a director of rugby role is something obviously we talked about a lot before, but that would be the only thing you'd see missing in the setup is somebody with a vast experience that's potentially become somebody for, for Steve Borthwick to, to lean on. Oh, we wouldn't want to bring anyone in with experience. Let's, let's, let's give the job to people who haven't got that much experience so they can learn on the hoof. Let's do that, shall we? Let's do you're, that you're, you're in a mischievous for another Christmas four mood years. today, aren't you? I am I in mischievous. Tell. So a couple of ins and outs. Mike Katz uh, on his way out because, uh, yeah. uh, as I understand it, um, Andy Farrell has is, is obviously got a new contract, which is great news for Irish rugby fans and potentially for British mm. and Irish uh, Lions fans. But he wants all his coaches to live in, in Ireland. And Mike's obviously moving back to Bath. And Rob Howley coming back from the dead. Great news for Welsh fans. Great news for Warren Gatland because I think uh, the circumstances of his departure were difficult. And I think the punishment that that he's paid has been a long one. He's been over in Canada, isn't he? And he's now back. So... uh, yeah, a new coaching team within the Italian setup, so uh, it promises to be quite an interesting tournament. I think, yeah, interesting with, with Mike Cat, isn't it? He has had a big effect on on Ireland, and uh, all the England coaches from 2015 who were such massive failures then, obviously in inverted commas. Look at where they are now. Inexperienced, I think it was the, uh, but yet still in the England job. Yeah, but they're all better for the experience of losing their jobs then even obviously that was such a sort of brutal response to what happened you know it'd be interesting to see you know Ireland haven't uh, David Nusifora the performance director didn't didn't rule out Johnny Sexton as a possibility you know is coming in and I suppose the other the other person obviously in the frame would be Ronan O'Gara um, the interesting thing would be you'd think obviously for Ronan O'Gara he'd be looking at a, a role as the number one and obviously you wouldn't have that in Andy Farrell's setup but I think either of those would be a really good fit because of the quality and experience and all the rest of it and then obviously it would be a big leap for Sexton but don't see why he couldn't do it and you know you've got Paul O'Connell in there and those guys will obviously be close to the players uh, so that's then yeah and in terms of Rob Howley it's I think it's brilliant because of course he had to have that punishment but also like you say it was extremely harsh and the circumstances around it with the death of his sister you know which as he 
explained it fairly candidly and openly, you know, when the time was right for him, you know, that came across as a massive family tragedy, which he clearly struggled to deal with, understandably. And I think, you know, the, the price paid was, was heavy. And um, I think what's really good to see within it is that Warren Gatland, especially, quite obviously, has stuck with him and stuck close to him, even though he had to leave the Wales setup and everything. And I think that sort of speaks volumes for the kind of guy that Warren is and can be with the people that are close to him. And also, you know, there's a lot of easy talk on social media and the hashtag rugby family and all that kind of stuff, which can often come across as guff and uh, have no meaning behind it. Sounds nice, but doesn't mean much. But I think this is one instance where hopefully that's been followed through. You know, people have stuck with, with Rob Howley there. And um, this is kind of a rehabilitation, isn't it? And I think it's great to see that he's back. Always turns up with an incredible chocolate bar selection as well. <laughs> I've got to say, I mean, for a man who's shredded when he takes his top off, Rob Howley, he loves a chocolate bar, which at Christmas is never a bad thing. Also, guff. I love that word, Nick. That, that's a real guff. 1980s word, Ooh. isn't it? Guff. I mean, it so it's got a number of different meanings. Multitude of different things. <laughs> I, I have to say, we will have to do a Christmas special more often because I do like the mood you're in today, Mr. Delalio. It's very, very good, very pleasant. Very uh, anti-RFU, but... No, it's never anti-RFU. <laughs> I'm not anti-RFU. I'm, I know I'm passionate about success. it. I just like to hear from them a bit more often and like them to talk some sense. Right, well, speaking of sense, uh, let's look ahead to the weekend then because before we do get stuck into our Christmas turkeys, uh, there is another round of Premiership matches. It is a bit of a delight that it is only five matches to watch this weekend and not 12. My God, that takes some doing, doesn't it, watching the European rounds? 16 hours of uh, live rugby, but this weekend is a little bit more sedate. So Friday night, we've got uh, Newcastle against Bristol Bears, and I know you're going up to Sale, aren't you, Long, to watch Sale against Saracens. And then on Saturday, we have Exeter, who are still unbeaten after a year at home uh, against Leicester. Gloucester against Saints, and then probably the most mouth-watering game of the weekend is Bath hosting Quinns. I mean, it's listen, it's all about Christmas tabletop bragging rights, really, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see who is top of the tree at Christmas. I know in the Premiership, everyone talks about the fact the team that are ahead at Christmas in football tend to be the team that go on and win the title. I'm not quite sure it's the same in rugby, but... Uh, it's looking fairly tasty for well, I sure. I just realised there actually that that if if the top four is the top four that is is now this weekend, it's the playoffs effectively, isn't it? Well, that's what I'm saying. So the they four, are yeah. they are seriously meaningful yeah. games. Uh, I shall be at uh, Sale uh, uh, against Saracens, and then I'm down in Bath for Bath Quinns. So TNT will be uh, delivering you those two games uh, Friday and Saturday. Perfect. Right. Well, as this is our last show uh, of the year, we're going to take a little break for uh, Christmas and New Year. I'm going to ask both of you to give me. Your highlight of 2023 and your one wish for 2024. So, Nick, do you want to go first? Your highlight of 23 and your wish for 24. I think you've probably got to say the two Paris quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup because... Yes, obviously, South Africa getting the job done and winning back-to-back was incredible and winning all their knockout matches by a point was testament to their never-say-die attitude. But I think those two games with those four teams, I think that was the high watermark of the tournament, without a doubt. That I think you know those two games are the absolute epitome of what we want to see in rugby union, let's be honest, at, at any level. And your wish for 24? No, it's just never going to happen, isn't it? But it's for everything to be easy. <laughs> and just, you know, get all this, get all this nonsense out of the way, get it done. Just get on with it. We can talk about all these things forever. There's a framework there now for things like the PGP 
and all the rest of it. But it doesn't need to be about sort of backslapping or it being self-congratulatory. And, and when it comes, when it's all sorted out, we don't need hours and hours of people saying, well, it's going to be better than it ever was. It just needs to happen. And so off the field that, on the field, let's see England develop to a new level. Lol, what about yourself? Your highlight of 23? Well, the World Cup, it's difficult not to look beyond that. Didn't turn out the way we all wanted it to because South Africa won another one. But uh, I thought the uh, performance of Portugal was a highlight for me. Yeah. And some of the other performances of the likes of Georgia, one or two other countries. Selfishly, probably the highlight was the 2003 Rugby World Cup squad getting back together after 20 years, every single member of that squad. And we had a bit of a shindig, as you can imagine. So it's great to see all those guys. And my wish for 2024 is a simple one. Just bring the Calcutta Cup back to London, please. Um, I, you know... I, I don't ask for very much. I just want a <laughs> test match victory against Scotland, please. Because uh, if you're going to measure anything about where England are at at the moment is can you actually beat some of the home unions? You know, we finished third in the World Cup. We're definitely not the third best team in the world, but we've got aspirations of being the very best. Now, I'm not expecting England to go out there or Steve Borth with a magic wand and win a Grand Slam. But what I'd like to do is I'd like England to win more games than they lose in 2024. Starting with the game in Italy, obviously, but it'd be nice to just to have a bit of a chat with my Scottish mates and, you know, without having to wince with a smile on your about face. the fact that where is the Calcutta Cup? Because at the moment, it's very firmly up in Scotland and deservedly so. So that's not a difficult wish list, is it? Not really, no. Uh, well, I'll have to say my highlight of 23 has been uh, definitely working with you guys on this show. Loved every minute of it. And with uh, producer Jules, who's put in an awful lot of work for us to bring it all together. So thank you. And my wish for 24 is that we carry on and we do it all again. Well, on that note, that is all for this episode. And as Steve said, for this year, we'll be taking a little break over the next few weeks. So it just remains for me to say thank you to Steve Cordy, to Nick Perewell for joining me, and thanks to Sarah Elgin for the contribution she's made over the year for being part of this incredible podcast team, and to Jules and all that backroom staff that put it all together. And thanks to all our guests this year, because we've had some amazing guests, and our hosts at VoxPod Studios. Have a lovely Christmas, everyone, and we'll see you all in 2024. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.